welcome to Oh Yes with Yuli, M, and Sarah. This week, we will be discussing language and culture in U.S. schools. My name is Sarah, and I'm a sophomore studying middle grades education with concentrations in literacy and social science. My name is Yuli, and I'm a sophomore studying elementary education and minoring in Spanish. My name is M. I'm a junior majoring in early childhood education and minoring in Spanish. We'd first like to discuss what we already know about Mexican-American language and Hawaiian language in schools before watching the stolen education film and the Eoloka Olelo Hawaii school podcast. Sorry if I did not say that correctly. All I knew before watching and listening the, to these is that students were not allowed to speak a language besides English in their classes for quite some time without being punished. I actually didn't know very much about Hawaiian history and language or Spanish history, which is surprising because I am Latina myself. So I feel like I should have like a firsthand experience at this. So what I already knew about it wasn't as too much either. Um, I actually didn't know that Hawaiian language was dying at all. Like, But it makes sense though. Um, as a Latina as well, I didn't get to learn about um, my history in some shape or form. Um, I did know that there was some type of trauma and like fear in speaking the language in our education system. That's because I see that even in a state such as Illinois that Spanish isn't getting passed on. And if it's happening in a state where we're still pretty like liberal and um, well-versed and like the importance of like language it's definitely happening in other states like texas and arizona so it's kind of scary to see but yeah you mentioned that you didn't get to learn about these things and i didn't either so i guess we can discuss why we think we did not get taught this i think it's possible we didn't get taught about mexican-american and hawaiian language loss in schools because of something that was brought up in the stolen education film Enrique Alemán says in the film that people don't know how to talk about race or racism, so I think that's why it continues to exist. This really stuck with me and made me consider why we don't hear about these topics more in school. It could be because teachers, administrators, and students do not know how to discuss these challenging topics in class, so they go unnoticed or overlooked, and the racist systems and language and the systems that cause like languages to be lost stay in place. And as we saw on the maps on Chalkbeat about resistance or expansion to this, the discussion of these topics, there are many states that are resisting. So that could also be a reason we have not been learning about this. That makes me wonder why weren't we taught about this in our education as we were growing up from kids, I mean, as kids from the 2000s, why weren't we taught this? Um, I don't think we get taught this, not because it's a challenging topic. I think it's because teachers aren't educated on how to speak upon these topics. Or it could also be that where, well, where I grew up, it was predominantly white. So it maybe didn't make sense to be teaching these topics. But like you... And... <laughs> 
Um, you grew up in Chicago, so can you tell me a little bit more about like what kind of people were around you? So coming from Chicago, um, I would say it was pretty diverse, but the word in itself, diverse, it's very loosely tied to it because I feel like diverse just means that you have some black, some brown, and it's still the majority white, not gonna lie, but it's like not as diverse as we would say it because most of the time we talk about diverse, we talk about race, and we don't think about language, we don't think about like sexual orientation, we don't think about other things as, such as religion. Um, but coming from Chicago, I would say that language was definitely a barrier when it came to it because when we think about bilingual education, we don't have a very solid and efficient program. Um, it doesn't work, I would say. Because even like coming into college and like high school as like a student who is fluent in Spanish, um, it was quite difficult. Like I wasn't taught a lot of things that I should have. Like for instance, I had, I struggled a lot with like speaking it, like speaking in general. Like I mispronounced words when it comes to like English language. And I feel like that it has like impacted it because of my education as like coming from that environment where I didn't get the adequate education I had needed. So what kind of bilingual program did you have at your school in Chicago? Um, so I come in Chicago, there's like public school, there's charter schools, there's private schools. I came from CPS, Chicago Public Schools. Um, the bilingual education didn't really, well, there really wasn't anything. I feel like it was kind of like if you were a native speaker, you were like taken out of automatically. Like if you were just, even like, even if you were just like a Hispanic um individual you would be taken out of your regular classes where all the other like english speaking students were there you were taken out of it and you were like given like one-on-one -on -one instruction and they didn't really check to see your level of adequacy and like english you would just assume that you needed help and then then like your help wasn't that great your point about how they just assumed you needed help makes me think of the stolen education film where there was the three levels of first grade and it was proven that the reasoning behind that had no academic or proficiency testing like basis. It was just because they assumed that they were not able to go to the next grade. So Sarah, what kind of Spanish classes or foreign language classes did you have at your school? So I'm from Palatine, Illinois, which is a northwest suburb. And as someone who is not bilingual, I didn't really have a relationship with other languages until I started taking Spanish in seventh grade. And that like there was Spanish, French, and I think when I was in high school there were a few other options, but it was very rare that someone took those as either you're doing Spanish or you're doing French. And that those classes did not seem very centered around really teaching me the language and the history and the culture. It was really like this is Spanish, you're going to do X, Y, and Z presentations and exams. 
and basic vocabulary like the alphabet colors, basic grammar, and I really took it because it was something that I thought I needed to get into college, which in a lot of cases is true. It is required for a lot of classes that you take foreign language classes. However, it didn't seem to be about really learning a language. It was really rooted in just getting me at like a white person, just getting me into college as I, it just felt like something I was supposed to do rather than something that my school really wanted to educate me on. Wait, I just had one small question. Was mm-hmm. your teacher white or Hispanic? My teacher in seventh and eighth and all the way through high school, I'm trying to think in my high school, there were only, I believe, one or two native speaking Spanish teachers. The rest were white. And did you take this class because you thought it was going to be easy A or did you actually think you would get something out of it? Um, my Spanish classes, I wouldn't say that they were easy A's. I would say the te- certain teachers were easier than others. Um, but it was something that I thought that I just needed to do. And there were, I took it uh, up until my senior year and there's like Spanish one, two, three, four, and then there's advanced topics and there's AP Spanish. My senior year, I ended up taking advanced topics instead of AP because it was quote unquote easier than doing AP Spanish and getting the credit for that. So I guess in that sense, yes. You know, that actually reminds me of Sarah. Um, Back in high school, most of the Spanish teachers were actually white. And that's the reason why I didn't take Spanish in high school and I took French because I felt, well, as I heard from other like Spanish native speakers, they didn't get anything out of that class at all. Like they spoke better Spanish than the teacher itself. It was kind of like, what? (laughs) Like what's going on here? I get that. Oh, go ahead. I, my Spanish classes were very like Spanglishy. Like I could still get an A in my classes that were supposed to be like you're only speaking Spanish, I could I still got an A. Just like I would still speak English sometimes, even though you're not supposed to. So go ahead, Yuli. Yeah, so I went to well I grew up in Vernon Hills, which is like completely white almost. And I went to a bilingual school where all my teachers were actually Hispanic and my middle school I had a white teacher but she was like pretty fluent in it and then in high school I also had another Hispanic teacher who pretty much knew what we were going through so like the class was not an easy A and we were learning culture and history and stuff but I feel like still I get judged on not being able to speak Spanish well by my own like family and the bilingual course that I took was pretty good but even getting here to college like it's a little bit intimidating meeting people who are better than me so that's like my two cents on this topic so I totally agree with you Yuli on the fact that there's this sense of uh like being ashamed of like not being fully fluent (laughs) in Spanish because I I know like growing up for instance my dad was very heavy on like and my dad's like first generation oh I'm first generation um from like Mexico um so my dad used to be always telling me like oh 
he always told my older brother who was like a little more fluent than I am, but he always told my brother, hey, like, you need to teach her how to speak Spanish better. Like, because at like, age five, I will start to learn like English already because I didn't want to be behind because I already saw at that age that I was going to be behind. But I saw that my brother, so I didn't want to be behind. So I started to like catch on on his English. Um, but it was like, we see this transition from like older generations being having fear and like being ashamed of their Spanish because of the education system disencouraging the, the Spanish language. And now we see that this generation has lost their Spanish, or at least the majority of it has. And there's a shame of not knowing or having that connection to our culture in the sense that we don't have that fluency in Spanish. Do your dad make you speak um, all, all Spanish in your house, like all the time? Yeah, like at home it was Spanish. Yeah, at same. school it yeah. was English. So it's kind of like... We get so mad when we didn't <laughs> speak um, English, when we spoke English in, the, in our house. Yeah, it was like, this is a Spanish-only environment. And like, even my, my grandma, she would hate it. She's like, don't speak to me in English. This is Spanish only. And like, it was kind of like the, the complete opposite. It's the complete opposite, actually, because in the podcast, I think, or was it the podcast? Yeah, it was. The principal said English was understood to be the most critical thing about being successful. And like now, like, well, how many years later is it? It like the whole idea completely flipped around. And now it's like your family attacking you that you don't know Spanish, even though it wasn't even your fault. It was like your parents not even teaching you. And I don't know if you heard the term, like, of, like, no sabo kids. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> I've been attacked that way, too. And I, I'm pretty good at Spanish. But, like, my own family is attacking me just because it was my fault. I grew up in this area, and that's part of my identity at this point. So I feel like this, the shameful feeling of not knowing your language or culture should be, like, forgotten a little bit. We should give a break to these kids who had, like, a a pause in the generation for not growing cult- growing up culturally that way. And then on top of that, um, I think as like older generations fail to notice is that we're being raised in the United States where the, even though we don't have officially the language of English, everything around us is spoken in English. We're taught in English. Every, literally, all the books are in English. All the music we probably listen to is English. Like, every, our everyday life is surrounded around English. I mean, like, Sarah, have you, like, ever gone to a, a store and mean like, oh, you have to speak Spanish. So if you don't know Spanish, get out of here. No, that's why I don't have as many personal experiences to draw on because my experience in education and just in this country in general, it's just... I don't have to, like, concern myself with that because I only speak English. That's all I've ever been around. So, like, curriculum, just the way teachers speak is geared towards me and geared towards my experience. So, like, this segregation that we're having or, like, this barrier that we have with language is, like you said, is geared towards yourself a fluent English speaker and this can be seen also in like standardized testing where uh, students who speak another language or like come from a different country they get like heavily confused uh during the test and that's how they get the low scores and that's how they don't make it into college um, with a lot of grants or scholarships so I think that this barrier is putting trouble on a lot of cycles of generations of students because you know, it goes back to the idea that the education system wasn't built to make 
non-English speakers successful. It wasn't built for non-English speakers. It was, as we can see now, like, as we saw, like, in class, that most of, like, there's, like, barriers right now, like, even to this day for, like, language being taught in our schools. Wait, actually, something that you just reminded me of was, like, our education system is based, or it is, is made to make you American in a way. So, I under like the bilingual system is obviously not going to be good because they're like they're, they're still low key trying to make us American or like make us forget our roots in a way. So I actually took this um bilingual education class in my one of my Spanish classes as a requirement, um and I actually talked about how most of the bilingual education class like that are offered in the United States are most of them are geared towards like not necessarily teaching both of the languages equally. It's also of teaching Spanish speakers to be fluent in English. It's not geared towards like have equal importance on both languages. It's more like you need to learn English, and that's it. That's true. That's true. Um, well, I can add it to that because actually, I my preschool was in Spanish. I think it was mainly in Spanish. It was also like a bilingual kind of kind of thing. But it was all Hispanic kids, so we were always talking in in Spanish. And then the teachers would talk to us in English as a way to like start teaching us because we were all most of us were also like first gen so we didn't really know a lot of english but also like the way we we were taught the like english or the english grammar i feel like we kind of did not we didn't really like learn about that because i still struggle a lot with english grammar and how to write in english i mean i'm struggling right now (laughs) I asked my friends to read for me, like, what do you guys think about this? What do you guys think went wrong? And and when you ask teachers, you're like, can you actually teach me about this? They're like, oh, you don't, you didn't learn that in third grade? Well, that's not my problem. Like, what? Like, what am I supposed to do? I felt that because I felt long. I was like in eighth grade, and like a teacher wanted to talk to us like about grammar and stuff because we were getting like this little test start coming around like the PSAT that was like really fresh I think eighth grade uh, yeah PSAT PSAT is eighth grade and like the the park test oh yeah. the park test yeah I think one of those is the park test you took in eighth grade and that kind of determined your high school track so if what you guys are saying like those teachers which they should not be just assuming that their students know everything about English because I'm probably going to be an English teacher for middle school so I would never want to just assume that my students know all these things if they're coming to me and asking like that should be my job to teach them so so how do we as future educators as future early childhood educators as elementary educators and um, middle grades teachers, how do we take what has happened, the history, the the trauma, how do we take what we have learned and what we have discussed today and implement it in a productive way into our classes? How do we accommodate for our students? So start us off, what do you think, Yuli? What are your thoughts? What are your perspectives? Um, how would you address this? I want to be an elementary education teacher who hopefully works in a school that offers a bilingual program. A good one. A good bilingual program. I want to mention that. <laughs> uh, 
think it's important that students in the age group of second grade to sixth grade learn about the history of these small cultures being kind of like ripped away. And I hopefully want to work at a school that's diverse. And I want to share this history with all every student. I want every student to feel included in their history programs, in science, in arts. I want them to know that they were important enough to learn about, not just uh, the, the great, great quotes, uh, average white old man that we learn about in history. I think that it's important to teach them that language is something that is significant. And I grew up almost not wanting to speak in Spanish, but now after reading these, even as a 20-year-old, I was impacted and kind of curious on how this affected my family. So I, I will reach out to them about this and this even impacted them. I think that Hawaiian history is something that never even talked about almost. And it's a kind of like a forgotten state because it's like more touristy. And if I ever have a student from that state, I want them to feel like they are recognized and that their culture is not forgotten in my classroom. And also teaching our students these things will prevent bullying of some kind. I want students to feel comfortable in speaking their own language in the classroom. And I don't think it will affect me as a teacher if they choose to speak that language with themselves in private. I, as long as they kind of understand what I'm saying during the instructions, I don't mind that they speak their own tongue. I think it's important to not cut off that tie because if you do cut off that tie, as a teacher, sometimes you don't know that you are cutting off maybe the language of what they speak at home and how they speak to their grandparents. Also, in elementary school is really when the brains are developing and taking in all this new information. So I want them to absorb the most language that they can from their home. I am, am in no position to stop this. So I will encourage this in my classroom, their own language. And if they want to even teach me, I'm, I'm open to that. I just don't want my students to feel like they are less or that they are not as good as students who speak perfect English because English does not mean success. English is a way to communicate with everyone, sure. But there is there is multiple ways to define success. And I think a, a perfectly fine and even amazing way of success is being able to speak with your own language and your own culture and not rejecting that from your identity. Having heard what Yuli has shared with us, would what what do you do differently, um, Sarah? What what are your thoughts? I think it is very important for all future teachers to think about how these topics impact their students and how it will impact the way they run their classrooms. As I mentioned before, I'm majoring in middle grades education and getting certifications in literacy and social science. So for those that do not know, that means I could teach English or social studies or history, whatever you want to call that, um, in grades five through eight. And I think language variations and the history of language loss and revitalization in the U.S. will be very important for either of those classes that I end up teaching. 
Um, as we talked about in class, literacy and especially social studies, history classes are kind of on the forefront of like increasing the discussion of race, class, gender, and other topics that have been left out of curriculum in the past. And I feel like all eyes are like on these teachers and everyone is watching to see how they change things up and how they include the perspectives of many different cultures, races, languages, and more. So I definitely see this impacting me in the future, no matter what class or where I end up teaching. Um, language and culture in the U.S. schools will impact me as a teacher of history, especially because I wanted to make sure that what I teach my students is not only accurate, but includes information that has been left out in the past, such as the Spanish and Hawaiian language history in U.S. schools, which we discussed this week that I didn't really know much about before this. Um, I also want to make sure that I'm teaching or showing many different perspectives, even if that means I have to bring in my own materials, like other than the curriculum explicitly provides. And I do not think that I should be learning about language suppression in schools and language loss, like now in college for the first time. I think I should have learned about this at least starting in middle school. So as a middle school teacher, I would like to at least mention these issues, if not discuss them in depth, because I believe middle schoolers would be able to understand these topics, and I'm sure many of my future students could draw upon their personal experiences, and their history should not be left out. As I learned from the film Stolen Education, um, many parents or grandparents just kind of stopped telling the history of their experiences in schools because they did not want the same to happen to their child or it was too painful to bring up. So as a history teacher, I should definitely have all of these important topics in my lessons. And it will also be important in both subjects, but especially if I am an English teacher, to give my students a space that does not shame them into thinking they need to speak English a certain way in order to succeed in my class or in America even. I would like to incorporate books and other course content that shows language variety so that all of my students can feel represented even if it's just an English class. And I would also love to have my students incorporate their languages and cultures into a lot of their assignments in the future, if that's something that they would like to do. And additionally, I'd like to find a way to have more equal and inclusive communication with parents or guardians of all of my students, because as a teacher that will not be able to speak any language but English fluently, I still want to have communication with all of my students' parents and guardians, because I think it's really important to show that I care about all of my students and want to be involved in their whole situation at school and at home. And I have looked into it a little bit and there are apps that people can send messages through where it will translate it for you. Like I would send a message to a parent in English and they could read it in the language that they speak, send me a message back and it will translate it for me. So I think this could be useful for embracing and encouraging communication between all languages present in my classroom and help let families know that at least in my classroom, but especially hopefully in all schools in the future, school does not equal English only anymore. I love that, Sarah. I love the fact that you brought up that we need to steer away from this English only idea. Um, I love that you brought up that you want your classroom to be inclusive. You want to have that communication with with 
parents. You want to invite conversation into our classrooms about language. And I love that you, you as well, you talked about how you don't mind that your students bring language into your classrooms. You just, as every other teacher, you want to have that effective communication with your students, yes. But that doesn't mean that we have to sacrifice that part of the identity of our students. Because I personally feel like as growing up that I wasn't allowed to express myself in my native language. And I feel not to say whitewash, because that's a little bit of a strong word for it, but I feel like I'm Americanized. Like, if I go to Mexico, they're not going to recognize me as Mexican. And if I'm in the U.S., I'm not Mexican enough. I'm not American enough. So I'm not... I'm somewhere in between. I feel like a lot of students can identify. Can identify with me in the sense that there's no right answer. But there is some ways in which we can accommodate for our students. And I love the fact that you guys said that it starts with us. It starts with us as educators. We're the first line. As an early child education teacher, dealing with the small ones, the smallest and small pre-K, kindergarten, first, second, I think it's important that we, we start to instill pride, pride in our students for their language. Especially because, like, most of them are still learning. Are still learning about themselves and finding out how they fit into the world. And I don't want my students to feel like they have to hide or change things about themselves. And I think that, personally, I'm going to do that through, obviously, having a large collection of books in different languages, but also, like, bilingual books so we could both have... We could have that that um, overlap where we have conversations about both of them, where they could see themselves on the posters. And like, I heard, I had advice from like a previous colleague that said, if you have students in your class that have a different language, their native language isn't one that you're familiar with. She said she advised to said she she basically said, learn how to say hello, how are you in that language learn something so they could see these you you're the model when it comes into into these classrooms you're the one that sets the standard and i think that if you are well rounded if you're inclusive if you're accepting and welcoming of these languages i think our students are going to mimic that and they're going to see that it's okay and that's gonna reverse I think to some degree the effects of our society our society as we have talked are very English only and it's kind of sad it's true but I think we can make a difference at least in our classrooms where we have the power the space to do so I think it's especially important because our students are going to be the next generation. They're going to be the ones out there. They're going to be the new policymakers, the lawyers. They're going to be the, maybe they might be at farmer market. Maybe they're going to have their own business. They might be a teacher just like us. They're the ones that are going to be running this world. And 
I'll, not to say that there's no hope in our our world right now, but it reminds me of the, the podcast about the Hawaiian language and how they just had to create this new generation of native speakers. And I think that's what we got to do. We have to create this generation that's the opposite. Thank you for listening to Oh Yes by Yuli, M, and Sarah. We kindly appreciate it and we invite you to please, 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 please steer away from English only tactics phenomena. Till next time. Bye.